Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prose to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Ali Martin. And today we will be talking with Jerry Valentine. He is the co-founder and CEO of Renter Mentor. So what is Renter Mentor? It is a for-profit social impact startup helping to bridge the gaps in affordable housing. So their goal is pretty simple. They want to recruit and increase the number of landlords in the affordable housing market, provide that support for tenants, landlords, and housing agencies, because there's a lot of people involved, and really start to connect and create a, a meaningful connection between everyone. And again, bridge those gaps of communication so everyone can be on the same page and to make that process easier. Yeah. And the Renter Mentor actually has ties to Cincinnati. Jerry is originally from Cincinnati, and one of uh, your friends here is also is from Cincinnati. Yeah, uh, shout out to Pat. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, being our first Columbus startup, I thought our history nugget would actually be about Columbus. Oh, I'm here for it. Did you know that our first capital uh, in Ohio was Chillicothe? I actually did not know that. <laughs> and then it moved to Zanesville for a period of time. And then it moved back to Chillicothe. Early and, midlife <laughs> crisis. <laughs> yeah. So in the 1800s, the <laughs> capital keeps moving. And people are like, what the heck? We got to decide. So then Cleveland <laughs> and Cincinnati, this is where Cincinnati comes in, start vying to be the state's capital. And then somebody smart was like, no, let's, it should be like, let's just make it equal, divide it in the middle. Yeah. So they put it in the middle of the state, uh, Franklin and Delaware counties, and they called it Capitol Square. And so around the, this Capitol Square grew the city of Columbus. Oh, I mean, I'm here for that fact. Well, and I think that's, it's a great point, right? Okay, so Columbus, smack dab in the middle of the state, but also what's great and, and tying it back to Renter Mentor is Ohio right now is a little bit of, you could like say a focus group, a focus mm. state for this service where they're reaching a lot of different demographics and between, you know, urban to rural. And this is kind of their their testing ground. So that will be interesting to see how they plan to move forward with what their what their discoveries are. Yeah, and I think uh, Ohio could be a leader in social entrepreneurship. So I'm excited to get some more social impact startups on the podcast. Uh, you know, th this quick shout to the listeners. Reach out to us if there's anybody yes. we should be talking to. And so with that, let's bring in Jerry. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for joining Allie and I. Uh, do you just want to start off and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Thank you, Patrick and Allie, for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to just share. You know, sharing is what entrepreneurs love to do and talk about, you know, themselves and their business. So thank you for giving me the platform to do so. Name is Jerry Valentine, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. After graduating from St. Xavier High School, I went to Ohio University where I was studying exercise physiology at first, really didn't have a good uh, grasp on the sciences and the physics there. So <laughs> quickly learned that. Kind that of important. <laughs> right. <laughs> so quickly learned that that wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be the physical therapist that I thought I was um, and kind of switched more towards a general track of communications before 
you know, graduating from OU and moving to Columbus, Ohio. They're still very much on the pursuit of kind of purpose and figuring out what I wanted to do in the world. So I started my entrepreneur journey in Columbus, really just kind of it started off as passion work and slowly turned into a 501c3 nonprofit, you know, which, you know, gave me a lot of skills because most people start traditionally uh, for profit businesses and things like that. But the nonprofit was just kind of more made sense for what we were doing, which was K through 12 STEM and art workshops for uh, underserved and underrepresented youth. So that's kind of how I got my my feet kind of in the in, in the ground here in Columbus and, and building up my network. I was coming of age at 26 where I was I needed to really find a job. <laughs> um, I was getting kicked out of my my parents insurance. So I ended up getting my first, I say, big boy job at the Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority, which is the what the Housing Authority does. They are the administrators of the federal program uh, known as Section 8 or Housing Choice Voucher. So I started that and that kind of took my trajectory off in the affordable housing space and, you know, saw, well, first of all, it was a totally different industry than I ever, you know, I had never really studied real estate, federal assistant programs or anything like that. So it was a huge learning experience first, but then just after I was learning the things, I just was learning even more about the different pain points and and things that made it hard for residents and, you know, the tenants and the landlords that were, you know, basically having to service the program and utilize it. Mm -hmm. So I gained a lot of industry knowledge, expertise, skills, um, and ultimately got to a point where I was ready to tap back into that entrepreneur spirit. And how I did that was by, you know, launching what was then the land, the ultimate landlord tenant portal, um, but now is Renter Mentor. So it, it kind of give people an overview of what Renter Mentor is before we kind of get into those pain points as to what you were hoping to fix. Absolutely. So Renter Mentor, we are a social enterprise company with the mission of helping connect people to affordable housing. Our services assist landlords and tenants through different housing processes and also connects them to other needed supportive services. So there's two sides to our business. We have what we call kind of the manual consulting side, where we work with different agencies and property owners and teach them basically the ins and out of different federal assistant and local uh, housing assistant programs. So for those who are not familiar with those type of programs, they're typically some type of rental assistant um, or utility assistant program that is administered through the local or the federal government. And they are very bureaucratic and complex and kind of outdated. So we basically set a curriculum where we can go in and teach your organization how to do the compliance piece. So from what the federal government needs for you to be in compliance to d distribute the dollars out properly, we uh, have an expertise there. And then working with those landlords and, you know, trying to mitigate the education gap between the agencies and what they have to do in order to successfully pass an inspection, get the compliance paperwork in in order to successfully house that tenant that is in need. 
This is a very relevant topic right now, affordable housing. There are a lot of people who are having a hard time finding housing. Housing is very expensive. It's obviously a uh, seller's market right now, even on on the real estate side of things. So through all of your experience, and you just kind of touched on it a little bit, paint a picture of those pain points for an average person who would, would have been struggling to find affordable housing and how you're coming in to help fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with the Section 8 voucher program, the first issue with that is that it's a it's a program that's very underserved by landlords. Mm-hmm. Nationwide, there's 2.2 million tenants receiving subsidy from this program. It's the largest rental assistance program in the nation. And there's only about 795,000 landlords servicing that, that 2.2 million residents are voucher holders. Mm -hmm. So as you see right now, there's a a huge supply and demand issue here. Mm -hmm. So with the competitive housing market, especially the ones that we have in Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland now, with the growing populations that our cities are having, it's competitive to get a house, especially when you already have Mm -hmm. a lack of landlords willing to participate or accept your housing voucher which makes housing affordable. And it's, it's super, you know, even, you know, these, these issues are, are not new, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and all the, you know, the eviction moratoriums and the stay at home orders and, you know, people losing jobs and things like that, it just really has been exacerbated, you know, in the last two years. And mm. in these last two years, we have been able to see such growth in addressing this from a market standpoint, that there's been $46 billion released just in the last two years alone to address this crisis with emergency rental assistance and, you know, uh, even the trying to invest more into developers to try to hurry up and build us out of this affordable housing crisis. So super relevant. So what got us into this mess? How did we get to where we're at today? Ooh. It's a loaded question. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, to be honest, we were, we got, this isn't the biggest, people think that right now we're in the biggest uh, affordable housing crisis that we have ever been in. That's not true. Really? The actual, yes. The, the, the biggest was during the Great Depression mm-hmm. and how we were actually able to get ourselves out of this, not through building new homes and things like that, but really through the workforce. So people don't understand that affordable housing isn't just a, you know, a housing issue, a real estate issue. It's really more of a people aren't getting paid enough to afford the homes Mm -hmm. that are available and that are out there. So back during the Great Depression, what they did was this was the first time that the government, and this is when around the time that the uh, Section 8 programs and public housing got introduced to America, was they, you know, the government started having more jobs available because of that. Mm. So there was more of that. Um, of course, the increase in the different industries um, like the steel and manufacturing and things like that start increasing around those times. So it was really the the workforce that got us out of that housing crisis. So, of course, with different economic downturns, you know, throughout from that period of getting us out to right now, it's really just because it's been, you know, a lack of wage growth as well as technology moving costs and things up 
you know, uh, across all different type of industries. Also, why are landlords hesitant to accept vouchers, in your opinion? It, for one, it's, it's uh, a stereotype. When people hear affordable housing, Section 8, it is a stereotype that has been built around of someone who is lazy, not working. Um, they don't care. They can't take care of themselves. They can't take care of property. I think that's number one. It's a huge stereotype mm. around the program in, in which the folks that are, are utilizing it. Then the second is just it's very bureaucratic and complex to deal with mm. these housing assistant programs because of really the regulations and the compliance that's been put in by HUD. And that makes it very difficult when you have to go through, you know, typically when you're a regular renter, just doing private market, renting your property just for the private market, all you have to do is, you know, you have an application process, you find a good, you do your vetting, and then you sign the lease and then boom, they move in. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not the case with these, you know, like a program like Section 8 is you have to find a tenant and you have to fill out some paperwork that is asking all this information about your property. They want to show they they need to know that you're the owner. So we need to see your deed. Then we have to come out and do an inspection. And if the inspection doesn't pass, then you have to fix something. And, you know, wow. it's, a process. It, it's a process that can take between two weeks all the way up to six months, depending on mm. how backed up these housing authorities are with processing things. Yeah. And during this time, even more, they're, you know, of course, overworked. Mm -hmm. So that t the time to get an inspection is, you know, three to four weeks out or maybe a month or two out. Then it takes after the it passes the inspection, then it has to go back and then has to go process. So it's 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 just the bureaucrat. It's very bureaucratic and complex um, is uh, the second reason why I'll say landlords you, don't want to You work brought up a point about stereotypes, I guess, like for our listeners, because I have definitely been blessed and fortunate. I know Ali has as well that we were never in this situation. What is a typical, I guess, recipient of a voucher's de demographic information usually like? What do, what um, do they look like? Can you just mm -hmm. like, yeah. Uh, honestly, it, African-Americans, Black people are mm -hmm. make up about 87% of the folks utilizing housing assistant programs. So you're typically dealing with a Black African-American woman, maybe single, mm -hmm. uh, with between two to three kids. So I'll say that's the the main demographic that these programs consist of um, are, are basically Black women with children. So with that said, if this demographic is applying for Section 8 housing, what does that look like? What are the struggles that they face? That's a process in itself. Um, mm -hmm. So each county has a housing authority, right? And that mm -hmm. housing authority has its own basically jurisdiction to determine how they want to manage their wait list. Most, which is like I said, it's not standard, but most have turned to a model of you apply online or in person, and then you go on something called a wait list. Mm -hmm. And this wait list has periods of time when it's open and they pull from this wait list randomly. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that process, it sounds like, oh, the, the wait list doesn't open often. When I was working for the, the housing authority, the wait list had opened one time mm. in four years. 
um, that I was there. I happened to wow. be in that department when it opened. It was 26,000 people on that wait list that we pulled from. Wow. And we only pulled 600 people off that, that wow. list for that whole Out of 26,000? Out of 26,000. That's... Holy so God. it's not an immediate thing, especially with the Section 8 program, which mm-hmm. is the largest... It's not a quick process. It could it could take any it could take as quick as, you know, 60 days or as long as almost five to seven years. It's some um, slow, bureaucratic and a big mess for both the landlord and for the recipients. And it sounds like you're you're trying to solve that. And so I want to dive into on your website, you do have an app and it seems like you do have this tech technological enabled aspect to your business to help solve this problem. Can you dive into that a little uh, for us? Yes. So the second side of our business is our web application. So our website. And right now, the first iteration of that website consists of a property listing feature where we have landlords that upload on their available properties that they feel is affordable because the website is built specifically for low to moderate income folks to come on there and better connect to someone that fits their their needs. So there's different filters on there that helps make that connection a little bit more meaningful. So landlords can specify whether they accept Section 8, whether their unit is handicap accessible, whether they accept people who are justice involved or have evictions or felonies, all those things may seem like it's, you know, it doesn't matter to someone like maybe you and I, um, Patrick. But when it comes to this demographic who is, who has, you know, a voucher or a, a felony or an eviction, knowing those things creates, knowing um, off the bat, creates a, a better search and a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so we service a need in which the Zillows, the hot pads, they don't have those specific fe- features because they're more market rate based and mm-hmm. they're not trying to solve the pain points of that. So that's the first thing that you know we wanted to solve is how can we better connect the landlords that service the space to the tenants that need the, the real estate? We're getting ready to jump into our second iteration of our platform, which is the automation of these different business processes. So the rental assistant process. We ourselves are administering rental assistance in partnership with a local nonprofit here in Columbus uh, called the Central Community House, where we have gotten $800,000 to disperse to families in need. So for the first Three months, we have been doing it manually. So really trying to figure out where the pain points is, where what needs to be streamlined. Now, three months later, we're taking what our findings are and getting ready to implement into our platform. What are those findings, if if you can share them? So dealing with municipalities, community-based organizations, they usually have little to no tech funding or, you know, capital for those improvements to improve those business processes, right? Mm -hmm. We realize that a lot of them are doing things, especially during the pandemic when social distancing and not coming to the work was a a real, you know, a a thing. A lot of them turned to doing things through email and phone call, maybe Zoom, (laughs) if there was a big enough subscription for the case managers to have access to, right? What we saw was just through you doing emails and phone calls, you're missing signatures. You're doing a lot of 
validating of permanent documents like social security cards, photo IDs, birth certificates. Mm -hmm. All those are getting sent through emails. That's Mm -hmm. not secure. It's not best practices. And we saw that forms that a lot of tenants could not properly fill out those forms without either having to go to the library and go print them out and then write them in. And then they'll have to take pictures to send them in, no real scanners. So simple solutions, something that we implemented to kind of help was something like DocuSign that solved the problem of being able to get documents Mm. all in one that can be, you know, filled out, whether you're on Mm. the desktop, whether you're using your cell phone, which when you're talking about low to moderate income, they're typically going to most likely have a a cell phone before they have a desktop or a laptop, even an iPad. You know, they're more likely to have an iPad Mm -hmm. before a desktop or a laptop. So making it user-friendly through DocuSign that you can really fill out, sign, and upload things all in one seamless kind of PDF and get it to back to the agency quick like that was a game changer for, for these organizations. Because I imagine you you bring up a good point there that there's probably a technology disconnect in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways between the demographics that you're serving and the service that you're trying to provide. Absolutely. And that's why we went instead of, you know, most people, well, why didn't you build an app? Why didn't you build an app? Well, at first I thought that's what we needed to build was an app. Mm. But yeah. when you think about the apps, you have to have one for Android, then you have to have for Apple. Mm-hmm. So that's already two different products right there that you needed to build. And as I got more technologically uh, educated through developers and things like that, I found out websites are literally the basis, which is the core Mm -hmm. of all mobile apps. So if you have a website, it Mm. is so easy to basically take the API of that website and then build out, you know, your mobile applications. But also when it comes to downloading the, the, you know, the Android market and then the Apple, Mm -hmm. you know, not all of those, you know, some folks who have Obama phones and there is no Android or app, but they can get on the the web, you know, the the, the internet. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's why we went web-based because it's more diverse. Was this, I guess, Renter Mentor 2.0 always the end goal or did this was this something that came about as you were doing, you know, your consulting side of the business and Renter Mentor, you know, 1.0? It definitely was. I didn't see ourselves being a platform for rental assistant distribution at Mm. first. I knew that was an issue, but just didn't think, you know, our competitor website is a website called GoSection8.com. Mm. And I really just wanted to make a better version of that, which was making the landlord-tenant connection more seamless. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you continue to learn and you start putting the product out and you start really seeing where the need was, it was like, okay, it's not, you know, yes, it is the- Not black and white. Yeah, yeah, it's not just the the connection piece, but also it's really the process that Mm. folks are really hating and not, you know, making them not want to, you know, really, um, you know, dive in and participate in these different housing assistant programs. So have you been getting feedback from those who have been able to use your service? And what does that feedback sound like? Absolutely. So it's been three months since we've actually been able to launch the the, pl- the platform. Yeah. And the first month is probably the most I'll say grueling in terms of feedback because that's when you're working out all the bugs and people yeah. are, yeah. you know, you're seeing it shut down. It's not working. It's like, oh my God, what's going on? I can't get the into analytics. the portal. <laughs> um, so 
it's been heavily, you know, we've been depending heavily on, you know, the the users, whether it's a tenant, the landlords to give us that feedback in order to make better um, iterations and to figure out like, oh, the site is actually down, guys, you know. So it, it's been really a community effort to better the platform. And like I said, it's, it's going on uh, the end of the third month of us having a functioning platform where, okay, we're just now tapering down on the complaints. <laughs> so, um, which is good. So here's, because we were talking about that technological disconnect, right? How are you getting this website and this platform to that demographic then? How are they supposed to know that it exists? Luckily for us that I happen to already, I had been in the space for, you know, yeah. almost five years. So we came in with a, a, an advantage of, I had mm-hmm. the industry connections yeah. to kind of, once I was, once we got it out, it was already a buzz around it. But our real go-to-market strategy is working with housing assistant programs mm-hmm. um, because they are attracting because they have the rental assistant dollars or whatever fundings to do utilities or moving assistance, the tenants are already coming to them, whether it's for rental assistance, like to stay in their home or to find a home. And when that happens, that brings a landlord automatically. So Mm -hmm. if you're behind on your rent, you're clearly, you owe a landlord. So when we work with these agencies, these community-based organizations and municipalities that are servicing already naturally, we that's how we've been able to get our, our platform out is basically partnering and distributing marketing materials and doing podcasts and all different yeah, type yeah. of things in conjunction with these organizations that already have programs that are you know, meant to better or serve this demographic. And that's how we've been able to kind of full fold, get both landlords and tenants using our services and platform. You kind of touched on it before, but as a for-profit, talk about how Renter Mentor makes revenue. How are you guys with the system? How are you making money? Yeah. So right now, all our uh, revenue has come from contractual agreements. We thought that especially when we were kind of just tech-based focused, Mm -hmm. that a lot of our revenue was going to come from software subscriptions. So kind of that SaaS model. But right now, we're not even making money off of the technology. Um, That's kind of a free service. But right now, we've been, it's all contractual bases. um, And our first contract started off $6,000 more than our competitors. Mm -hmm. So that and alone kind of proved that we were bringing a valuable you know, service to these businesses. So we've been contracted to work with different agencies here in Columbus, as well as contracted to work with different um, landlords in terms of consulting and providing that different compliance and HUD education that they don't know. (laughs) Awesome. Mm -hmm. So because this is full time for you now, correct? Yes, this is what I do full time. So talk about your self journey with this. What what have you experienced that you didn't realize about yourself when this all started? I'm a workaholic. <laughs> 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 I think that's the first that's the first thing that I realized. And I and I really think that's why like uh corporate doesn't work for me a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. It's because I am so passionate and I'm you know, when you're passionate about your work, you're willing to 
to spend time on it outside of work. And when you're doing that, you become kind of, you start obsessing of it. You know, I I realized like some, it's not good to do that with corporate because sometimes (laughs) it's not your business. Yeah. You You can't care more than they do. (laughs) You can't. You learn that the hard way. Yeah. And that's what I was realizing that it was like, I care. (laughs) (laughs) So I realized that I, I not only care and I'm passionate about this and I'm seeing how, my earlier kind of entrepreneur endeavors with the nonprofit, which was, you know, very STEM and education based, like how that is coming full fold, even with the housing, mm-hmm. um, you know, piece and how important, te- you know, getting people connected and and, 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 te- and digital literacy and things like that mm-hmm. to even be able to do things like housing applications and, and stuff like that yeah. and how mm-hmm. critical those things are. So I'm just seeing how, you know, things are slowly but surely kind of connecting just in my own kind of pursuit of purpose and mm-hmm. and overall just I can do more than what I thought you know I, I can build a team I can you know be the housing spokesperson I can be the salesman but also I, I gotta realize and I'm realizing now as we're trying to grow and expand you need great teams and you need help yeah. in order for their you to have a striving business. So it sounds like you need a great team and passion in order to overcome any obstacles. Can you please elaborate on some obstacles that you had to overcome when starting this business? The first obstacle, and I'll just keep that theme of how bureaucratic and complex Mm -hmm. the housing in itself, but let alone affordable housing is. So I'll say my first, I'll say issue that I was running into was, okay, I was kind of this guy who sprang up on the scene through, you know, this hackathon who then moved into this accelerator that kind of, at least in the Columbus, it kind of blew up. And, you know, once I took that leap of leaving the housing authority, it was more so I needed to establish my subject matter expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, And who who am I to be trying to solve these problems? Um, Because when you're dealing with a lot of, you know, bureaucratic it's a bureaucratic industry, mm-hmm. you you know, there's almost a chain of command in which how you have yeah. to approach the industry. Yeah, so many deeper rooted issues that mm-hmm. you're also uh, facing as well. Yes, and mm-hmm. you know, so dealing with that is it's it's a, it starts with social, right? Yeah, I, I yep. was I gotta get I gotta be part of the the, the good old boys club and the scene and yeah mm-hmm. the scene and and be on that. So I had to make an effort to go out the way and, 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 and network and what was, like, what was that like for you too? When you were physically there and you were having those conversations, was that uncomfortable for you or what was that like? Yes, because I felt very, um, that this is where I feel like I have to be a politician almost mm. yeah. where you have to watch what you say. Don't be too aggressive. Mm. And, you know, cause essentially what, and, and then you think about the problems that I'm trying to solve. It comes from their organizations. So <laughs> I have to be yeah. careful yeah. how Ciao. I talk about like, wait, so you're, you know, so I had, yeah. so it was very uncomfortable. So I'll what? say that was the biggest what advice can you give to someone who might be going through a similar situation when you're in, if they're in that? At first, I was very, like I said, very kind of timid, careful to mm-hmm. what I should and should not say mm-hmm. um, around the scene, as you say, Allie. Um, yes. <laughs> but as I continue to go into the scene yeah. and realizing the value that I was bringing and the innovation that I was bringing to the scene, the more and more the scene starts respecting you and starts to, you know, 
invite you more and wanted to want to bring you into the conversation. So I would say when you have to go into uncomfortable waters like that, the first step into getting over that uncomfort is stepping into the room and Mm. just being into the environment and just and observing the scene because you don't understand just how powerful it is to just be there. Whether mm-hmm. you answer a question, whether you're on the panel, whatever, just being there and seeing what opportunities come to you naturally is what you're going to get out of it. That's why you were there was because mm-hmm. you met that one person that you sat next to that said, hey, why are you here? Yeah. And then you <laughs> yeah. said, and then you pass on your card and then they say, yeah. oh, you're the renter renter guy. Or I didn't know about that, but I'm glad that yeah. you did this. I have a colleague or I have this, that, and that. That was the first thing about being in the scene is just being mm-hmm. in there. Stepping into the room. So step into the room and then get comfortable. And then everything else will naturally start happening for you. So you overcame obstacles. What were some of the successes in your, I guess, journey to getting to where you are today? Ooh, some major milestones throughout this journey from the start to, you know, now have been, you know, successfully been able to compete into those, the Give Back Hack Hackathon weekend. The C Change which stands for Social Enterprise Accelerator, which was a 15-week accelerator that gave us, you know, seed money, coaching, and all that. All the way to getting our, you know, we, we've only been in business for a year and nine months, so we're a true pandemic business. And to see the growth from, you know, year one, kind of just getting everything established, initial things, Mm -hmm. working on the development of the platform, you know, to having, you know, we had revenue because of, you know, winnings, you know, the pitch competitions, the accelerators, uh, different grants because of COVID and small business initiatives, but we didn't really make any revenue the first year. Mm -hmm. And to come into 2021, being able to come out the gate with the rental assistant contract, to get the contract with the city of Columbus, those were big wins. And then to now that we've, uh, well, and then also the launch of our platform, that was huge. It, t- it took from 2019, just from a business idea, all the way up to July of 2021 for us to release a, a platform, mm. uh, yeah. the first iteration. And that came from, build, you know, I was trying to build an in-house development team to, yeah. you know, luckily being able to get a technical partnership with a development firm that was able like, hey, we believe in you, we believe in your idea, and we can do this quicker for you mm-hmm. um, with the technical expertise. So um, and then uh, most recently, we've been able to, I've gotten back into the pitch, you know, pitching. I hadn't pitched since 2019, which pitching virtually for a year and a half to now going back in person, we just won the uh, RTRX pitch competition in Columbus, Ohio, Congrats. which- that's where um, I connected with Patrick and, you know, that put us on a, another stage, um, you know, where, you know, we're ready to take advantage of being on, you know, kind of those national stages and what comes with that when it comes to yeah. connections and resources. So that was uh, just great. Just getting, being able to get back on stage and pitch your idea in person to uh, a national audience. I imagine the future of Renter Mentor would, would to, be to take this platform national in all cities or Absolutely. is that wrong of me to say yeah it was no we, we yeah we want to go nationally and we we also can go globally you know affordable housing is relative across 
the world in their mm. in its own different ways. Each each country has their own different type mm-hmm. of issues when it comes to affordable housing. And, you know, we believe that once we can perfect Ohio and we can then take and especially how diverse the real estate portfolio that Ohio has in terms of density, residential, commercial, you know, we have different types compared to like a New York where it's just more high density. So it's hard to get our market is built for to be a great test market Mm. to be able to scale nationally and then once we do that we can start having those conversations but you know we're just now getting our you know our our foot you know really kind of planted and growing in columbus and then you know we're trying to definitely hit these the other seas to expand and then as we're noticing here in columbus we're getting a lot of rural area properties Mm -hmm. and 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 inquiries too so we feel like we get three c's in ohio that will then naturally get the surrounding rural areas to help expand and and start and you think of the rural areas and those issues in terms of lack of capital and then technology advances it's the same thing just on a different disconnect correct yeah so what is what is that one thing that you want people to know about renter mentor that one thing that I would want everyone to know about Renter Mentor is that we're innovating. We're bringing innovation. I, I'll say we're, we're the innovation to this this uh, affordable housing space. And I say that because you look at these the technical advances in the real estate space, they've only affected the private market. So mm. you talk about DocuSign itself, that was adopted by the private market real estate. It was the National Association of Realtors were the ones that made them go national in scale. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you go to the affordable housing space and you see that there's no DocuSign in the space. There's been no Zillows and hot pads that had helped cater their platforms and things. And it's like, why? Why has this segment of the real estate industry been forgotten in terms of innovation? Mm. And that is why we believe that it's been, you know, it's causing even more of a gap and bringing more and more people behind. And it it confuses me because affordable real estate is really the most high in demand in the country. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I think if anything, we are the innovators in the affordable housing space. What is one thing that you would advise somebody just starting their own business? I will say the best, my, my best advice to someone starting a business would be build a business that you're passionate about. Start a business that you're passionate about. Sometimes, you know, people are passionate about money. You know, that is your passion. And sometimes that's just enough to get you going, but usually it's not. Tap into your passion and you're going to Realize that, you know, rather this business is going to be, you know, something that you run short term or, you know, you expand it nationally. What you realize when you go after your your passions is you start discovering other things within that journey that, Mm -hmm. you know, may lead you to your next business venture or, you know, venture just in general. Because I can definitely say I have plans after renter mentor to do other things because of, especially in the real estate space, because of my passion and journey through this business. So 
that was my number one advice is that passion will lead you to other opportunities and avenues being more than just, you know, money. I love that. And what would you like to tell yourself or what do you know now that you wish you would have known at the start of this journey? I would go back if I could tell if this Jerry right now currently could go talk about talk to (laughs) Jerry two years ago. When you enter the technology space, it is this thing. I don't know if it's because it's sexy or or whatever, but this thing that you have to get venture capital in order to be a successful technology company or just a successful business in the tech space. And I very much was brainwashed by that. Um, Mm. And to me, I spent a lot of time trying to go after those conversations instead of building my business and going after to get revenue which shows the value when you go out there to get revenue versus trying to get someone to invest and take part of your business. So I would definitely go back and have that conversation of let's make money now. And, Mm. you know, that was kind of my difference. You know, it was um, a mentor of mine. uh, She had gave a talk and she was just talking about like, so many people are trying to raise money, raise money, raise money, raise rounds, you know, do this, do that. And she basically just kind of emphasized was like, I was a, she was a success because she had revenue coming into those business conversations with venture capitalists or angels, investors and things like that. So I just would just go back and just tell myself to focus on generating as much revenue as possible with the resources that I had Mm. then. Um, Because when I did that, which was about a year and a half later, where it was like, okay, I'm done trying to get the investor to believe in me. I, this is the thing, you know, I can get money. We can generate revenue right now. And then that's kind of when the consultants start. This has been awesome. I think this is a topic that we'll be continuing to talk about moving forward in the future. Um, I think it's important for everyone to listen and to hear these solutions that you're coming up with and truly best of luck moving forward with Renter Mentor. I appreciate it. Thank you both. Yes, thank um, you, Jerry, for having me on. Um, like I said, it's you know we never get enough as entrepreneurs and business owners. We never get enough opportunities to be able to talk and spread that message. So thank you for all that you do in terms of uh, providing this platform. And I wish nothing uh, but the best to you both in that in that endeavor as well. So thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you. Okay, this was an extremely insightful conversation that I hope everyone enjoys. Yes, I think there are lots of pieces of wisdom, especially Mm. for a social impact startup, which we do not have many of those appearing on our podcast. Mm -mm, Maybe we need mm -mm. more of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I wish I've asked is, how are you tracking those you know, metrics and making sure that you're making that impact on the community? Um, For housing, it probably is pretty maybe... I hate saying the word easy, but pretty easy because if you get someone into a home and help a transaction happen, mm-hmm. there you go. That's, you know, towards your impact metrics. And this is definitely a problem that he has been working with and working in from his previous role. So I think he is the best person to help build the solution. Yeah. And I think it's important that we ask the demographic questions, right? I mean, mm. you can't brush that under the rug and pretend like yeah. that's not a factor because it is a factor and it's a hard conversation and it needs to be talked about. And I think it loops back into what you just said of what is the impact going to be a year or two down the line? I will be very curious, especially if he's able to get into, you know, get into cities across the U.S. And 
what does that mean from the technological divide that a lot that our society does still experience? Yeah, and he brought Will that it up. Help close it. Yeah, yeah, and he even brought that up with the fact that he's going into more rural communities now. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not just the inner cities that are experiencing this affordable housing crisis. It's also the rural communities. So keeping that in mind uh, when building out his platform was, I think. Very insightful uh, of him. And, you know, you take somebody who has that kind of foresight in order to make that happen. And so um, I am super excited to see where they go. The, the foresight and the drive, he, mm. he's, he's stated that a couple times, right? Passion. Passion is what will fuel you. If you believe in a vision and something mm-hmm. so much and you want to manifest it, it will happen. And then putting yourself, like he was saying, one of my favorite conversations and nuggets of that was stepping into that scene, right? Stepping mm-hmm. into the network scene, putting yourself in front of people that are making changes in, and, and have influence in the community. No one likes to network. No one yeah. wants to network, but it, it comes with the territory of success and, and growing a business and and what what do you do when you put yourself yeah. in that scene you have you can't come in on the attack right you can have this blazing. vision yeah you no. can't come in guns blazing like a bullet at china shop it doesn't work that way so that advice of mm-hmm. step back listen observe see what everyone's bringing to the table what can, can what can you as the individual bring to the table and then start that dialogue and hopefully make it a win-win for everyone is is was a huge takeaway for me yeah, I think just playing the game was definitely a part is definitely a part of that. And I think the other takeaway for me was, you know, towards the end, he, he's like, you don't need to take venture capital, right? You know, he learned that he had to build his business first. And then, you know, if he needs to take on venture capital to, you know, yeah. expand that, then he will. So um, it, I think, you know, from that learning, you know, that's something that our listeners can take away from this as well. We've had a few venture capitalists on and they would probably give similar advice. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he brought that up. I love that. Yeah. And, and to wrap things up, you know, if you want to check out what, what they're up to, and if you want to check out their website, head to rentermentor.net. Yeah, and Ali, you know where else they should uh, hop on the interwebs? When- <laughs> to our website. <laughs> <laughs> Which is whenpigsfly.fm. So definitely go check out our website. Uh, you can reach out to us through our website. Go download our episodes through our website. But also go check out our social media pl- pages. Just type in whenpigsfly on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Everything you need is right there. We love hearing from you all. So thank you to those who actually do engage with us, we do really appreciate, appreciate those messages. It. And tag, and, and I love adding this too, tag a friend on social to, to tune in or tell a friend because that word of mouth goes a long way and we really appreciate, we appreciate you and we appreciate you listening. And on I that note- I think it's time to cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.
We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.